This is a production of the Z Talk Radio Network. The views expressed and opinions given by the individual hosts and their guests do not necessarily reflect those of Z Talk Radio, its affiliates, or sponsors. Wow. It's dark. Well, let's have some light on the subject. Put on your critical thinking caps and please refrain from hugging. It's time for Dimland Radio with your host, Jim Dr. Dim Fitzsimmons. Hello and welcome to Dimland Radio here on the ZTalk Radio Network at ztalkradio.com. I'm your host, Jim Dr. Dim Fitzsimmons. Remember, I'm not really a doctor. I just play Doctor Online. Uh, this last week saw two uh, pretty important anniversaries, I guess they could be called. One for sure. Uh, the other, I guess, is sort of an anniversary. Um, <clears throat> these, these things uh, had a, a big influence on the kind of person that I am, who I am. What I, why I am the way I am. Uh, and they've had this influence on me. Um, let's start with the, uh, the one that took place on February 2nd, which, as everybody knows, is Groundhog's Day. That's that day in which uh, some town in Pennsylvania pulls a, know, a hedgehog or beaver out of its hole and scares the shit out of it, and, it, and then they declare that we're going to have six more weeks of winter. Yeah. Great. Yeah, that's a wonderful, lovely tradition. Happens every Groundhog's Groundhog. That's what it is, Groundhog. So it's Groundhog's Day, right? You know, it's a thing. People have fun with it. That's whatever. Let them have fun. It's a weird thing to do, but you know, why not? Why not? It's okay. the The thing is, though, the day has some other significance for me. Uh, This past week, on February second, would have been the 75th birthday of Farrah Fawcett. She would have been 75 years old. She died 13 years ago, or coming up on 13 years. It'll be uh, in in June, June 25th. It'll be 13 years, uh, it'll be 13, maybe 14, you know, 13 years since she died. Um, she was 62. She died of cancer, uh, the specific kind of cancer that she was diagnosed with in 2006 was uh, anal cancer, which I'm not sure how that differs from colon cancer, other than maybe it's in a different part of that digestive system. Um, She was diagnosed with it and did all the scientific, you know, the science-based treatments of it at, at that, uh, I believe. That's what she did. Uh, this is according to Wikipedia, so, you know. But, uh, and then I think at some point in 2007, she was declared cancer-free. But cancer does uh, what it does, and it did to her. Uh, it came back. And when it came back, she was diagnosed as being at stage four, and the cancer had metastasized. I guess this was in 2008 when it came back. It had metastasized and was uh, going after her liver. And that's not good. So um, she died then on uh, June 25th, uh, 2009. And this was just uh, shortly after a film, a documentary film, had been um, aired on, I think, NBC that was exploring and showing and documenting uh, Pharaoh with cancer and, and and dealing with it. Uh, it was put together by Farrah did a lot of the video work on it. Um, Alana Stewart. Alana Stewart was uh, married to uh, George Hamilton at some point. Uh, she divorced him and then married uh, Rod Stewart and was married to him for a while. And she since divorced him. Uh, it, she's in the video, uh, the Rod Stewart video. Where he's uh, singing to this, you know, blonde gal in a bar tonight, tonight, you know that song, uh, and then they end up in a place, you know, by, by a fire or something like that. That's 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 who she is. That's her there. 
she was friends with Farrah. And there was some other guy that was involved in the making of that uh, film. And the documentary was called Farrah's Story, I believe. And his name was um, Craig Nevius. Uh, and he had worked with Farrah on some other, I think, a reality show called Chasing Farrah. Which, I don't know. But anyway, Farrah Fawcett was, was the first woman that I became infatuated with. Uh, I was, it was, I don't know, 1976, Charlie's Angels uh, started airing on television, and and Farrah was the breakout star of that show. She was only on it for the first season, then she showed up a, in a couple episodes in subsequent seasons, but really, she just had the one season that she went off to do bigger and better things, you know, Cannonball Run, <laughs> Saturn 3. Uh, I, 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 I was just, I just, I was floored by her as a kid. I was in the sixth grade, just absolutely smitten. So I, what was about her? I mean, she was gorgeous. The hair, the big teeth, the little bumps in the chest part of the of the uh, of her bathing suit poster. You know, the poster, the red bathing suit poster, which I believe is still the the best selling poster of all time. I think dogs playing poker is getting close, but you know. Anyway, so it was. I just I don't know. It just it, she just clicked with me, um, and she was a model. She was an actor. She was an artist. Uh, I didn't know about her being an artist until many years later, uh, and it, she was. Uh, her, I've seen some of her paintings, which are interesting, but it's her sculpture where she excelled, and uh, I'll put some links to it in the show notes. Go to dimland.com, click on the show notes blog option, and you'll you'll get to it. If you're not checking out the show notes, you're only getting like 53.45% of the show. I mean, come on. You got you to gotta go check out the show notes. I spend like three, four hours writing those damn things. So, um, I mean, I was so into her uh, that you know I drew her portrait several times. Although I never really quite got her until just fairly recently. Within the last couple of years, I, in one of my movie sketches, I did a little sketch of Logan's Run, and I really nailed her in the drawing. I just, I think I did. I really did. I'll put it on the show notes page so you can check it out. Um, in, in high school, I wrote a paper about her uh, for English class. I think we were supposed to write some biography or something, and each paper was going to be graded uh, in, with three grades. Uh, and I don't know exactly what the, you know, like composition and, you know, research and something else. I, I don't know. I don't remember what the three grades were. Uh, but I turned in the paper. And the day that we were get a, to get them back, get them, you know, graded and returned to us, uh, I was, I was uh, before class, I was in the lunch. I was in lunch. And the English teacher uh, that I had, uh, she spotted me. And she came over, and she says, Joe. And I said, yeah. <laughs> yes, Miss Moss. And she said, uh, I could uh, tell that you you really liked the subject of your paper. And I said, yeah, yeah you could say that. I mean, that's fair. She's like, I could tell. You really liked it. And, and so then went to class, uh, eventually. And uh, um, she handed back the papers. And of... You know, I don't know, 20-some kids in the class. Uh, only two of us got three A's on for the grades. Aced all three categories on the papers, and I was one of them. Why I did not keep that paper since then, I do not know. Now, I wasn't that nuts of a Farrah uh, fan that I went to all her movies and watched all her, you know. No, I just have, I have the posters. I still have the posters. I have a bunch of uh, I have some magazines. I have the two Playboys that she did later in her career, um, and you know I have that stuff still. And it was interesting about Farrah. One of the things that's interesting about her was that uh, she came to fame. I mean, she, you know, she was she was born on Fe uh, February second, nineteen forty-seven, in Corpus Christi, Texas. Her parents were James and Pauline Fawcett. She had an older sister named Diane. Uh, Diane went on to work in the field of graphic arts. And, and as I said, uh, Farrah was also an artist. Uh, she went to, I think, the University of Texas or something, something like that. She was born in Corpus Christi, Texas. 
But then she went out to Hollywood to be a model and and to get into acting. And uh, she, I know she had a, um, I think a series of commercials with Penny Marshall of all people. They were playing roommates. It was a shampoo commercial. I don't know. There might have been just a couple few of them. I'm not sure. Um, and then she did these small parts in TV shows like The Partridge Family. She was in one of those, and she was a bunch of other episodes of, of or you know, little one-offs in TV shows as as the pretty girl. Uh, and then and she got Charlie's Angels, and she became huge. And this is like 76, 77. She became huge, and she was about to turn 30. And that's usually when, uh, you know, sex symbols, female sex symbols, are, you know, on the downside of their sex symboldom. Uh, I mean, she might have, you know, another four or five years, to, before Hollywood writes them off, you know Hollywood, yeah, Hollywood, you know, because Hollywood's a shithole, <laughs> and they're they're a bunch of assholes, and they treat their people really poorly. You know, they, they I, that's why it always bothers me when I would watch the Oscars and they get up there and start haranguing the the you know us, us regular people in flyover land to act better, like be, better human beings and that kind of thing. They harangue us, uh, and then talk about how brave they are to make movies about I don't know being gay or something. Which, eh, you know, I don't know. Is that brave? I don't know. But they're just virtual signaling all over the place. And then they're telling us how to live our lives. And yet, you know, where's all the uh, black folks? Where's all the Asian folks? Where's the representation? You know, how many women have won Best Director? How many, how many black directors have there been? How many, you know, I mean, it's just like, come on. You know, they're, they're just wagging their finger at us and they're not, you know, Walk the walk as well as talk the talk, guys. So, anyway. And so Hollywood treats women like shit. So they, you get to a certain age and it's like, well, sorry, you're just not hot anymore. Um, I don't know if that happened to Farrah. I, I, I yeah, probably did, I guess. I don't know. But um, she was something. And, 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 I, and, and I just... Uh, there, well, one story from when I was in the sixth grade. Just in the, the early budding of my obsession with her. Found out that some kid at the school had a picture of Farah in which you could see her boobs. You know, I found out about that and I found the kids. Yeah, I got it. You know, you want to see, you know, like see the boobs. I said, yeah, I want to see your boobs. I mean, I, I might have been young, but we were interested in boobs by then. So we went into the boys' room and he gets out the picture and it's the poster. It's the poster in the red bathing suit. I already had one. I said, you can't see her boobs in there. He said, well, you can see the, you know, you can see the things. You can see that. I said, yeah, but take up the lycoris covering it. The lycoris between the boobs and us. We can't see them. I mean, we can get a good indication of what might be going on under there, but we don't know. I don't think I have, I, you know, I'll t it's not I don't think. I have never been, <laughs> before then or since, so disappointed in the boys' room. Hmm, wait a minute. That's kind of a weird way to put it. I still, to this day, harbor a certain, I don't know, anger toward Michael Jackson. Because when Farrah died, she died at something like 2.28 a.m. on June 25th, 2009. And almost exactly 12 hours later, King of all pop, Michael Jackson was was declared dead on the same goddamn day. You know, so so earlier in the day, the news breaks: Farrah Fawcett's died. We, I knew she wasn't well. The special had been on, the documentary thing had been on, and so there was, you know, it was in the she was in the news as far as that went. She was in the public eye as far as that went. She, you know, but it wasn't for her career. It wasn't for that. It was just like she's she's got this cancer and she's fighting it. Then she's trying to inspire other people to fight cancer and do what they need to do to live, right? Although some of it was a bit. Well, I'll get into that in a moment. Um, so she was a little bit in the public eye, but then the king of all pop dies, and it's just like Farrah who. It's, it's, I was so mad. I said, you, you couldn't wait. You couldn't wait to die a week. You couldn't wait, or a couple days, a day. You couldn't wait. You had to die the same goddamn day. Now, I'm sure if Michael and Farrah had their druthers, uh, they would both prefer to be alive today. But, you know, I know he didn't do it on purpose. 
But he, and I understand why the attention all flew to him, because he was much bigger in the news at the moment, because he had turned 50, and he was doing this major tour that was coming up, he was getting ready for this major tour, and it was news, and the entertainment news was following it, and all that kind of stuff, and then all of a sudden he's dead. I still, I still resent him for dying on Farrah's birthday. And then the Oscars snubbed her by not keep putting her in the in-memoriam. Wow, she's more of a TV act. Look, she did, She made movies. She made Cannonball Run, for crying out loud. She did other movies as well. Uh, but but as, to throw in a, a little bit of skepticism into this little thing here, as I said, uh, when she, when the cancer came back, um, you know, she... It, when she first had the cancer, from what I can find, she followed the science-based medicine to deal with the with the cancer. You know, chemo, surgery, radiation—that sort of stuff that works with cancer. It, you know, but but cancer is a nasty, terrible thing. It can still do its, you know, do the nasty stuff to her. But for a time, she was cancer-free. And then when it came back, it was worse. So what did she do? She went, you know, she did, I think, do the, the stuff again that she had done before. But this time, she went over to Germany to get some, as, as, as Wikipedia put it, either it was known as uh, uh, aggressive or alternative. Now, class, when we hear alternative in relation to medicine and medical treatment, when we hear alternative medicine, you know, what do, what do we think? What what comes what immediately comes to mind? What should come to mind is when you know alternative medicine is is a treatment that has either been proven not to work or hasn't or hasn't been proven to work. And then again, and also this is a you know what do we call alternative medicine that works? We call it medicine. You know, the, it, the, at least the Wikipedia article didn't say that it was experimental. It was early testing to see if it could work. To, 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 you know, they weren't sure. But it was just aggressive alternative. This alternative, you know. So, so she died. And, uh, yeah. That was Tuesday. Or Wednesday. But, uh... February 2nd, that was Wednesday. Now, Tuesday was February 1st. And Tuesday, uh, February 1st was, uh, 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 the date would be uh, February 1st, 1982. And that was a significant day for me that I will tell you about when I come back from my first break. You're listening to Dimland Radio on the ZTalk Radio Network at ztalkradio.com. I'm your host, Jim, Dr. Jim Fitzsimmons. I will be back. Radio, the number one choice for music, sports, news, and talk radio. So keep that dial locked to ztalkradio.com. Do you believe in ghosts? Do you think Bigfoot is real? Do you suspect that your neighbor is really Val Tor, leader of the lizard people of Bendar 3? Well, Dr. Dim doesn't, and he'll tell you why when you tune in to Dimland Radio Saturday nights, 11 Central, midnight Eastern, on Talk Radio Network. It's an hour of science promotion, pop culture rants, personal observation, and, of course, skepticism. Join Jim, Dr. Dim Fitzsimmons, Saturday nights, 11 Central, midnight Eastern, for Dimland Radio on Talk Radio Network. Oh, Lord, honey, can somebody tell me what my future holds? Hey, man, you think I can get a reading? Uh, Wrong answer. It's time for Dimland Radio with your host, Dr. Dim, Jim Fitzsimmons, only on Z Talk Radio. But we give those other guys the finger. You're listening to Z Talk Radio Network.
and welcome back to Dimland Radio on the ZTalk Radio Network at ztalkradio.com. I'm your host, Jim, Dr. Jim Fitzsimmons. I'm talking about a couple of uh, anniversaries. I guess a birthday is an anniversary of sorts, right? It's the anniversary of your birth. Okay, so Farah's 75th birthday was is sort of an anniversary, right? Well, this other one is more accurately called an anniversary, and it, it's the 40th anniversary of uh, Late Night with David Letterman, first airing on NBC. Uh, I've talked about Letterman before, talked about Farrah before in the show. Yeah, uh, Letterman has been a huge influence on me and my humor and that kind of thing. I've had a couple of people over the course of my life um, uh, tell me or say that I have a certain Letterman-esque-ness to me. Uh, which I take as a high compliment. Uh, I, I I was a fan of Letterman's before he got Late Night. Uh, I remember him from The Tonight Show. He would be a frequent guest. He would also be a frequent guest host. You know, Back in those days, uh, Johnny did like one show every six months, and then he would have reruns and guest hosts fill in the rest of the time. Yes, I'm exaggerating. But it was, it was like, you know, Monday was a repeat show, uh, uh, Tuesday was a guest host show. Wednesday, Thursday was Johnny, and then Friday maybe another guest host. I think that's. I mean, it came down like he was doing like two or three days a week. Yeah, that's what he was doing. But he was old. <laughs> uh, anyway, um, so uh, Dave would would guest host, and I just remember he was one of my favorite guest hosts. I like Gary Shandling too. He was pretty good, uh, and then. Um, I had heard that, you know, then the news came out that Dave was getting a morning show. It'd be a 90-minute live show done weekday mornings on NBC, and I was in high school. I thought, well, well, crap, what am I supposed to, I can't, I'm in school, I'm not going to drop out of school, you know. <laughs> if I drop out of school, I'll end up being a janitor, and I don't want that to happen. Hmm. Well, anyway. Uh, <laughs> so... I didn't get to see it. Uh, and the show lasted 18 weeks. It just didn't find an audience, although it did get a couple Emmy Awards. And NBC said, well, we got to pull the plug on this thing. But what they did was they went to Dave and said, look, Dave, we still want you. We still want you. We still want to develop a show for you. We want it to happen. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to put you under contract for a year. We will pay you. I think they paid him what they paid him to make the show in the morning. We're going to pay you through this year. You don't go work for ABC or NBC or CBS. You stay, you know, stay with us, and then we'll get something worked out. And I think I'm speculating here, but I'm I'm think that they were probably uh, waiting for Tom Snyder's contract to come to an end. Tom Snyder hosted the Tomorrow Show, which came on right after the Tonight Show with Johnny Carson. So and and so they were just waiting for that time slot to open. And when it did, you know, when it was coming open, they, they put Dave in there. And Dave, you know, flourished at that time. And I didn't catch on right away that the show was on. I didn't know. Uh, but at some point early on, I found it and watched it. And it was just, it felt like it was, it, it, you like you were part of a very exclusive club. The very, he, 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 you know, he had a sizable audience, I'm sure, but not quite the kind of audience that Johnny had uh, but certainly he had a better audience a big a kind of audience that uh, streaming shows and cable shows would die to get that kind of uh, viewership but it still it felt like it's this little club that we know about this and we get this guy and we it's just it's ours it's great and that lasted for a few years and then then the the show got more and more popular, and the Yahoos started liking him and kind of didn't feel like he was ours alone anymore, but still enjoyed the show. And um, he was on Late Night with with Seth Meyers just this past week, on, on the 1st, I believe, so, so to commemorate the 40 years. Dave Letterman also holds the, the, the uh, uh, distinction of being the... A uh, uh, person who has had the longest tenure 
of hosting a late night show. You know, he did late night with David Letterman on NBC, and then he went over to CBS and did the late show there. And so he, I don't know how many years he was on the air, but Johnny was on for 30 years. Uh, Dave, I think, is you know was definitely longer than that. Uh, how I, I how long I don't know. Um, 35 years maybe, something like that. And it, it and I watched Letterman on the on the Seth Meyers thing. Uh, I'm not a fan of the beard. Letterman's got this big white beard now. I'm not a fan, but hey, it's his hair. He can do what he wants. But he had a certain he he certainly had a, a huge influence on me. The show was crazy. Late night was just crazy. And I um, on YouTube there is now a um, an official Letterman channel on YouTube. It's called Letterman, and it has clips of old Letterman shows, Late Night and The Late Show, and it's clips. It doesn't have full shows. Now, on the YouTube, you can find full shows, and there's one I want to focus on, just an aspect of, which I will link to in the show notes. Go to dimland.com. Um, it's from uh, March 18th, 1986, so he'd been on the air for four years, and it's weird how some things on his show I I just absolutely remember it just instantaneously pops into my head when it's you know when something's going to happen I go oh yeah yeah I remember that and then there's sometimes there's aspects where I don't I don't remember that and it, it was um, uh, um, he had a uh, fellow on his show I guess was somewhat frequent guest on the show uh, was he was a former window cleaner who uh, gave that up, gave up the window cleaning biz to, um, you know, to bilking people for money by pretending to be a psychic. Oh, maybe he believed he was actually psychic, but I have a feeling, I don't know exactly what his technique was, but I have a feeling if he was anything like all of the other psychics I've ever seen do their thing, and I mean all of them, he was probably doing cold reading. Because they all do it. At least all the ones I'm aware of, all the ones I've seen, all of them do cold reading. Uh, now, that doesn't mean that they know that's what they're doing. Some absolutely believe they have the ability. And they don't realize what they're doing is cold reading. There's been stories of people who have been raised by you know a parent or an aunt to believe that they're psychic and, and teach them the, how to do psychic reading and stuff, and they're just teaching them cold reading, and then that person, as they get older and and start to realize, wait a minute, they learn about cold reading and say, well, that's what I'm doing. It's happened. And they, they stop being a psychic and realize I was they were never psychic at all. It's rare, but it happens. Or at least it has happened at least once. Well, so Dave has this guy come out, and... Uh, and I, I don't, I, and I just didn't remember this guy being on the show. It was something I didn't remember. But one thing that I did remember on this particular show, I think it was this particular show, Dave was talking about Stevie Nicks, pop singer Stevie Nicks from Fleetwood Mac and doing her own solo stuff. And she was doing some solo stuff at that point. She was pretty, you know, big. You know, she's having, she was on a nice hot, hot streak on the charts and all that. And they were trying to get her on late night, but she wouldn't go on. So Dave being Dave, would, would do this needling of her by making her look ridiculous by playing this little snippet of her music video that was big at the time. And as soon as he starts playing this, it's, I, it right into my brain snapped the picture of what I was going to see in that video. And that is, um, they showed just this quick segment of, I can't remember what song it was, but she's, you know, they, they show uh, uh, her band breaking through a wall or something like that. Then there's a close-up of her at the microphone. So big close-up on her face, and she's doing these hand gestures across her face. One hand's in a black, lacy, half-glove kind of thing. And then the next shot is her backing away from the microphone, or from the camera anyway. And she's kind of she's backing away in sort of a shimmy, kind of a shuffle thing, and she's shaking the one fist with the glove on it, or the half-glove on it. She's shaking that at the camera, and she's doing this move, which I'm doing, and you, you can't see it, but I'm doing it. And that image popped right into my head. So it's weird how that happens, but I forget this psychic guy that they would bring in. Now, okay, so the psychic guy, his name is Morris uh, Fonte. 
And I try, I looked him up, and I didn't. There was it really isn't much to find on him on Google or that. It's just not much. He didn't make a big impact, which you would think he would have made a bigger impact being a semi regular guest on Late Night with David Letterman. But and, you know, I thought, and I, when he brings out the psychic, or he said that they're, they're, early in the show they said that you know the psychic guy is going to be on there to predict the winners of the upcoming Oscars. Uh, I thought, oh, Dave, you know, why would you have psychics on your show? But I have a feeling that Dave, Dave poked fun at this guy. He would say, you know, you got to do this trance thing, and then he, Dave makes this face, and Paul Schaefer plays this eerie music, like you know, you got to, you got to do that. You got to dress it up. You got to learn how to do that. You got to dress it up. And anyway, so the guy just kind of you know, laughed along and seemed like he was kind of out of it, or just like like he wasn't quite getting the joke from Dave. And so they gave him a chance to predict the winners of the upcoming Oscars. This is 1986. So, um, so Dave gave him seven, you know, seven chances to predict the winner. And uh, so, okay, so he says, okay, let's do it. Let's see what you got. What you, what you got here? What you got here, Morris? What do you see? What do you see? And he says, uh, for best director, who do you see? Now, Dave did not list the nominees. He just said, for best director, who do you see winning? And Morris answered, Sidney Pollack uh, for Out of Africa. And survey says, ding, that's correct. He, that's a hit. He got it right. Sidney Pollack did win the Best Director Award. I'm pretty sure it's Sidney Pollack. That's what I wrote down. Uh, if I make a mistake, I'll, I'll correct it on the show notes page, which you should be checking out the show notes. If you're not checking out the show notes, you're only getting 61.8% of the show. So, you know, you got to get over there. <clears throat> uh, okay, so then Dave threw this at him. He says, uh, uh, who's going to win animated short film? And more sat there going, he had no idea. He didn't know who was nominated. He had no answer for that. He didn't study that part. <laughs> so Dave, uh, uh, Dave gave him up. You know, went on to the next one. So that's a that's a miss. We got one hit. We got one miss. Next, uh, supporting actress, supporting actress category. And the fellas and Mars says Meryl Streep, not Meryl Streep, it's Meryl Streep, Street, Meryl Streep. And Dave says, "Oh, um, yeah, there's a problem there. She's not nominated in that category." <laughs> uh, that would be another miss. Uh, so they move on. <laughs> they, they 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 move on from that. And uh, and they go to uh, well, well, best actress then. What are you saying for best actress? And he says that's Meryl Streep, Meryl Meryl Streep for best actress. That's that's the one. That's the one. Okay. And who won best uh, support? Uh, Meryl Streep would be for Out of Africa. Uh, who so who won the best actress award? It was Geraldine Page for the trip to Bonneville. Uh, trip to Bountiful, not Bonneville, Bountiful. So another miss. Then they circle back. Let's try that Best Supporting Actress again, shall we? And this time, uh, Morris says, Ogol McGulvey. McGulvey. Ogol McGulvey. For the color purple. And and Dave looks at Oprah Winfrey. Yeah, that's the one. <laughs> and did Oprah Winfrey win that one? No. Angelica Houston won for Preetzi's Honor. That's another miss. Uh, best actor. Best actor. Uh, Morris uh, confidently proclaimed that Jack Nicholson would win it for Preetzi's Honor again. Uh, and Dave asked, you know, Preetzi's Honor, have you seen, did you see Preetzi's Honor? And he says, no, no, no I, I, didn't, I didn't see that. I didn't see that one. He says, oh, oh, oh it's a good movie. You should see it. And then he says, uh, I saw Rocky IV. Oh, you did? Oh, yeah. Uh, you weren't surprised at the end, were you? <laughs> See, he's psychic. Shouldn't be surprised by those things. Right? Right? But the psychic will tell you, well, that's not how it works. You know, you're almost there. You're almost there. You know, uh, when you say that's not how it works or it doesn't work that way. I mean, it's just like it doesn't work that way. You're almost there. 
because you just need to take the that way off and just say, well, it doesn't work. Okay, so another, uh, uh, oh, did Jack Nicholson win it for Prissy's Honor? No. William Hurt won Best Actor Award for his role in Kiss of the Spider Woman. That's another miss. Finally, Dave says they're running out of time. Dave says, well, okay, what do we got for Best Picture? What's What you got for Best Picture? And Morris um, uh, predicted the color purple would win, and he was wrong again. It was out of Africa. So of uh, seven opportunities, he only hit. He only had one hit. I, I don't think that even comes up to chance. I mean, if he knew the nominees, there's, in those days there were five for each category in most categories. Maybe the animated short film would have had less than five. But in those days, you know, the best, the, the best picture, you know, the actors, actress, you know, they all had five nominees. Best pictures are different now. They, they, they've expanded the number of nominees for it. But um, So if he, you know, if I, if I were to sit and look at it, I'd have a one in five chance of getting it right. I don't know if it's you know, just from a pure guess standpoint. If I knew nothing about the films, I was just looking at it and I just guessed, you know, I'd have a one in five, you know, a 20% chance of getting it right. But, uh, yep, seven chances, only got one. Well, it doesn't work that way. No, no, no. It doesn't work. You know what does work? Me going to break. Oh, that works really well. You're listening to Dimland Radio on the ZTalk Radio Network at ztalkradio.com. I'm your host, Jim, Dr. Dimfit Simmons. I'll be back after this break. You're listening to Z-Talk Radio Network. You're listening to Z-Talk Radio's Red-Headed Stepchild. It's Dr. Dim on Dimland Radio on the Z-Talk Radio Network. Hi, I'm Darren McKee, one of the hosts of The Reality Check. Each week, my co-host and I explore a range of controversies and curiosities using science and critical thinking. You can find us on iTunes, your favorite podcasting platform, and on Facebook by searching for The Reality Check, or by following us on Twitter at TRC underscore podcast. Until then, keep an open mind, but not so open your brain falls out. You know, if I can maneuver into a tight parking spot at the mall, I'm pretty much sexually satisfied. And I've been to the mall twice today already. You're listening to Z-Talk Radio Network. Back to Dimland Radio here in the ZTalk Radio Network at ztalkradio.com. I'm your host, Jim Dr. Jim Fitzsimmons. Uh, last week, I talked about the Tennessee School Board uh, dropping the book Mouse, the graphic novel Mouse, from the uh, eighth grade curriculum. Was that a ban? Yeah, I don't know. Is it a ban? I don't. I don't know. But then I talked about how. Uh, when I was in the seventh grade, my English teacher at the time read to the class Of Mice and Men. And Of Mice and Men is one of the books that's been banned at some point or another. And I read to you what was in that book and how the uh, my teacher um, handled the class very well. He told us right bef before he reading the book that there are going to be words, there's going to be situations, there's going to be racism, sexism, there's going to be stuff in the book that's not good, uh, but he's not going to censor it. He's going to speak the N-words, 
they're part of the story. This is a this is a piece of American literature that's important, and we should know it. And that we're old enough and mature enough uh, and smart enough to be able to uh, understand what's going on there and not, you know, be embarrassed or giggle or anything like that. This is, you know, so he really charged us uh, with the ability to handle the story. He did it really well, and as far as I know, everybody was fine. Uh, so uh, Mouse uh, has gotten into the news. And it's also uh, had uh, a resurgence in sales. I saw a headline. I think the number, I th if I'm correct, I think the number in the, that was in the headline uh, that said that the sales of mouse had increased 753%. I will try to find that article but uh, and put it in the show notes page which if you're not going to the show notes page show notes page you're only getting 42.2% of the show i mean that's less than half you got to go to the show notes page dimland.com click on the show notes blog option uh, anyways um, I, I did note this i checked it out today when i record this show which would be friday uh, uh, february 4th when I record, as I record the show, or earlier today, I went on to uh, Amazon's website to look at their bestsellers. In the top three spots on their graphic novel bestsellers, right, you know, number three is Mouse 2, that's the second volume, uh, A Survivor's Tale, and Here My Troubles Began, that's the titled the book. It's the second volume of stories that tells the second half of the story of Mouse. At number two is the complete Mouse hardcover. That's everything in one book. That's at number two. And at number one is Mouse One, A Survivor's, ta a survivor's Tale, My Father Bleeds History. And that's the first half of the story. Now I'm reading it and I'm still in that first uh, half of the story and it's interesting the way you know, uh, uh, the, the story f unfolds, how this, it's this slow encroachment on, on the Jews in Germany and in Poland, you know, this pushing, 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 you know, just this taking away a little here, a little there, a little more here, a little more there, more here. Move to this place. Move to that place. Move to this place. Come into this place. Be here and go there. You know, it's just, it's just this. And then the the, the treatment becomes more cruel and more cruel and more violent and more threatening and more. You know, it's just. And all along, especially through the beginning, there the the people the the characters uh, that are his family, the author's family, Art, Art Spiegelman's family. The characters there are just saying, "Oh, this can't be true. It's not that bad. People are exaggerating, you know. Oh, well, it's not so bad so far. I mean, it's it's it, we're still together. It's okay. It's a small room. It's a small place to live in, but we're all still together. We're still okay. We're doing all right. We're doing, you know. It's just justifying and and denying and and doing that until it becomes, well, what do you, what can we do? It's it's a very um, so far. It's a very effective." and uh, uh, well-done story. Um, so, I'll let you know when I finish reading it and uh, my overall thoughts, but uh, it's feeling, it's, I mean, it's, it's pretty good. So, because of the attention in the news, you know, the school board, it, it couldn't keep it quiet. So, what's happened is the Streisand effect. I think, I think that's what it qualifies as the Streisand effect. That you know, Barbara Streisand found out that a picture of her house in Malibu, her estate, her you know, the sprawling place that she owns out in Malibu, was in a picture on some site that was uh, like a tourism site of Malibu, and it didn't even list that it was her house. I, I think I don't think it was listed. It's was just it's in a picture. She found out about it. She put her lawyers after it, and doing so brought it to the attention of the public. So now even more people were looking at it. She just she just took it from hardly anybody noticing to many 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 more people noticing. 
So because of this, of banning this book, if that's exactly, you know, if that's the correct way to call it, has brought it to the public attention. So a book that was not selling that many copies, I'm sure, is selling some, but it wasn't, I mean, it's caused its sales to jump. Now it's you know, so much more uh, coming in, and I'm sure Art Spiegelman is saying, great, more royalties, thank you so much. Thank you, Tennessee School Board. So, yeah, the Streisand effect, uh, that school board should look it up. And in a related sort of thing, in Tennessee as well, books are burning. Some dumbass pastor out there decided, you know, that uh, they have to get rid of the demonic uh, influence on our country or something and burn Harry Potter and Twilight books. And I'm sure Mouse is thrown in there. Uh, this is from uh, The Guardian, their website. It's written by Maya Yang. A controversial Tennessee pastor led a book burning on Wednesday night to fight, quote, demonic influences, unquote, with a crowd incinerating copies of books including Harry Potter and Twilight. The burning, which was live-streamed on Facebook, followed last month's decision by Tennessee School District to ban the uh, Holocaust-based graphic novel Mouse. Uh, quote, we are well aware of what we are stepping into. Bring it all. Stop allowing demonic influences into your home, uh, pastor and pro-Trump conspiracy theorist Greg Locke wrote on Facebook uh, that has since been removed. A post that has been, since been removed. Quote, we will be in our continued series on deliverance from demons. We have stuff coming in from all over that we will be burning. We're not playing games. Witchcraft and accursed things must go, unquote, wrote Locke. Locke's event in Nashville, or in, a Na in the Nashville suburb of Mount Juliet, drew large crowds of, as participants threw in copies of Harry Potter and the Twilight series, among other books. Prior to the burning, Locke said that in a sermon that he was fighting the, quote, Freemason devils, unquote, and that, and that, quote, I ain't gonna be suiciding myself no time soon, unquote. Such English he has. Quote, I ain't messing with witches no more. I ain't messing with witchcraft. I ain't messing, messing with demons. I'll call all of them out in the name of Jesus. You have to say it like that. Christ. Quote, unquote, said Locke as crowds of attendees cheered and applauded in response. Uh, according to Tyler Salinas, a photographer who was present at the bonfire, there was one counter-protester who held up copies of Fahrenheit 451 and On the Origin of Species and threw a book into the fire that he said was the Bible. Oh, my. So, uh... <laughs> Yeah, you know, books are burning, and you know, there's a quote that's that's alluded to in the song "Books Are Burning" by XTC, and I don't know who did the who said the quote initially. I'll try to I'll see if I can find it, but that goes along the lines of you know you know uh, well at least the line in the song, this uh, Andy Partridge sings you know where they burn books people are next lines like that. Something along that. And then Andy also says, the smell of burnt books is not unlike human hair. It's just, you know, he's saying these books should be here. Even There's no such thing as a bad or, you know, good or bad book beyond those labels. He says that the books are lessons from the past, t talking to us today. They're, they're, we need them. We need these books. You know, the ideas are there. And to stomp them out, stamp them out, not good. Because you know who was burning books. You know who was big on burning books back in the 1930s. Yeah. Yep. The, the same, the same uh, people that were big on burning people. Let's end the show on something cool. Um, 
Well, you know, actually, first I should tell you about this. It's uh, it's something that uh, um, that I apparently it's been going on for a lot longer than this, but um, uh, it's a scam that shows up in your email, and and I it just happened to me this past week. Uh, the email uh, scam is that um, you know they're just kind of fishing for your information. They're trying to get you to you know click on a certain link and that kind of thing. You know how when you send an email out and you you screwed up the email address, you wrote .com instead of .com, and it bounces back. You get this you know failure, you know delivery failure message, and you look at that email and it's all a bunch of good. You know, words, 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 and links and things like in there. And then at some point you can see, oh, there's where my email was. And then you look and see, what did I send it to? Oh crap, dot con. Oh crap. And then you fix it, and you send them on, and it works. Well, and it's it's never been, well. This came in this week. I got a a, a failure delivery notice. It said a mail failure delivery notice that was in the subject and in the body. It had a Microsoft Office failure delivery notice, the user, uh, then my email address at work. And it said the message was three pending sent messages couldn't, uh, no, wait a minute, three pending sent message couldn't be delivered. Action required how to fix it. Now, the how to fix it was highlighted. So you click that and it would get uh, get you to go there or um, and then it also would say click here to view undelivered sent email so and I saw that and I thought wait a minute um, first red flag was that this email popped into my junk mail none of my undelivered messages ever went into junk mail they've always gone into the regular inbox so that was the first red flag the second red flag was it's ne I've never gotten you know it, it as like three emails in one didn't send. I would get I would get them coming back individually because I didn't send all three of them at the same you know the same time. I would get them back you know like I'm doing a uh, if, when I do my monthly check-ins. If I screw up three email addresses, I would get them back individually, not as a as a block. So it just I went nah this doesn't sound right, and it's not. It's a phishing thing. I looked it up, and sure enough, and this this was first uh, uh, posted back in October of 2019. So it's been a while that this has been around. It's just that it's finally worked its way to my email box. Okay, now, uh, so don't fall for it. Don't click on the link. Just just dump it. Don't don't bother with it. Don't worry about it. Um. There's a cool thing. Um, I have several to go through here, but I'm not going to have enough time on the show. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to pick uh, uh, this cool thing. There's a YouTube series that's called Great Art Explained. And the videos are about 15 minutes long. And it's, it's a, I, I'm ga I gather an art historian who, um, who puts, you know, puts together these well-produced videos where he examines a piece of art and explains why it's great and what it is about it that uh, um, uh, that uh, it will make it you know uh, 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 something for all time you know this is why is it wonderful you get a little history of the artist you get a little comparison to other artwork of at the time you get you know stuff like that so there are several that you can watch, and uh, I think they're great. Uh, they're you know very informative, and there's some neat stuff to be learned in each of them. That stuff that I didn't know and hadn't noticed. Um, the he does one on Michelangelo's David. That that massive. I mean, it's, it's a huge sculpture. It's giant. It's gigantic. I mean, a person you know, stands next to it might be. I don't know, up to mid th mid thigh, standing you know at his foot level, it might be. I mean, that's how big it is. It's big, and it came out of a piece of uh, uh, of marble or grant something. It came out of a piece that had already been worked on a little bit. An artist had tried, and there was a little space, a hole in there where the where the the space between the legs, 
David's legs. So Michelangelo had to incorporate that in there. It's a very narrow piece. That's why David is looking off to the side. He can't look straight out because there's not there wasn't enough stone to work with, so he had to turn to the side. And there was something that Michelangelo did in designing the sculpture in that he knew that the intent for the sculpture was to put it I don't know, several meters high up on a cathedral so it would be looked up at as it stood out there you know uh, on, on top of this cathedral or on some part of it and I think at some point but but once he delivered this sculpture the idea of putting it up on the cathedral was, just was abandoned. They wanted it closer to the people so they could see the magnificence of this of the statue. It's 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 brilliant. Yeah, it's it's what it is. And the thing that the uh, the, the cool thing of it, or one of the, uh, one of the cool things of this sculpture is that designing it from the idea that it's going to be set up on top of a, of a cathedral that it's going to be looked up at uh, Michelangelo um, made David's hands bigger than they would be and made his head bigger than it would be in proportions to the rest of the body and and then so at some point a full-size replica uh, of David was made and put into that place to look up. I believe that happened. And, and, and in the video, they show, they show the looking up at it, where it's way up in a distance. And you're looking up to see it. And you can see that in doing so, uh, the hands and the head look right. It all blends right because of the angle you're looking at it, how high it is away from you, Everything looks in proportion. When you bring it down closer and you're looking at a different, you know, at a more head-on look, the hands look kind of big and the head looks kind of big. But when you change the angle and you move it away, it looks right. And that was really cool. That's that. I mean, man, that that's genius to think to to model it that way so that it would work. Because um, then, you know, I guess otherwise the hands would look kind of small. So that was something cool that I didn't know. Um, and, you know, it, it, most of the depictions of David, you know, that David is, is David, you know, of uh, the David and Goliath battle. Most of the depictions of David in referring to the battle with Goliath were in the aftermath, after David had be defeated Goliath. But this, Michelangelo did this, as it, this is before the battle was to take place, and we're seeing the look on uh, on David's face as he's contemplating what battle he's going into. He's thinking about it, and you see a little bit of worry in there, but you see some determination, and you see intelligence as he's figuring this out. It's uh, it's really cool. Another cool one to check out is uh, examining Starry uh, Starry Night by Vincent Van Gogh. It's just no, it's uh, Van Gogh is just such a fascinating artist, and one of the things I learned from watching that bit was that he was not, you know, quite the failure that the popular opinion has him. Like he only sold a couple paintings, but he he sold a painting for a fair amount of money. He was well respected by other artists. They knew he was an important artist. Uh, he um, he was. You know, he was very likely bipolar, with uh, you know depression and anxiety disorders in, in as well. Um, and and then he when he commits suicide, uh, he he was on the verge of you know getting big. He was written about by a major art critic about you know very positively from, from what I gather. He he had ten pieces in this major art show that that took place I think after he died. Um, but it, it's just uh, he was, any you know he was not quite the failure, and he wasn't quite the madman, as he's been, um, as he's been depicted, and it's quite possible that had he not died when he did, 
he might have painted over Starry Night, which is probably his most recognizable painting. You know, I mean, there's he's got a lot of them, but you know, or his self-portraits, some of them are just absolutely brilliant. But uh, Starry Night, he he didn't think he it worked. He thought it was a failure. He just he didn't think it worked, and he just didn't. He he would paint over paintings that he didn't think he got it, so he'd just paint over them. Apparently, he never he, he might have done it with this one, but he didn't get around to it. Uh, the next one you should check out is uh, Da Vinci's Mona Lisa, and how Mona Lisa's portrait uh, that painted by Da Vinci had redefined what a portrait was in painting, how he went about doing it, and the one thing. Uh, that really fascinated me uh, to learn about that. You know, in the background, there's a landscape. And it just kind of fades away in the background. It's not crystal clear painted. It's, it's painted where it just sort of fades as it, gets a, it's a, it's a, as it recedes into the background, as the atmosphere gets between you and that stuff there. That's why mountains appear. When you look off in the distance, things on a... On a bright blue sky day you look off in the distance you see stuff seems to get bluer as it gets farther away that's because it's the atmosphere getting in between you and what you're seeing far away it gets hazier there's the atmosphere is in the way that you get a little bit of that in there um anyway so that's why when you're on the moon and there's no atmosphere if there's a huge ass boulder the size of a house off in the distance it and there's a there's an astronaut making its way, his way to it. The, it. the boulder at first looks like it might be the size of a truck and be nearer the astronaut, but the astronaut keeps moving and keeps moving toward it and keeps moving toward it, and that boulder the size of a truck is now getting to be the size of a house because you, there's no atmosphere in between it. There's, it's hard to gauge the size. I've seen video of that. I don't know if I'll be able to find it. I'll try. But the one thing that da Vinci did with this landscape in the background is on, on the, as we look at it, on the left side of Lisa, the horizon is at one part, and on the right side, the horizon's a little bit higher. They don't match up. And it's, it's like da Vinci knew that our brain would have a problem with this and would fight to straighten out that horizon and in doing so would give movement to to Lisa she would move she would her shoulders which are aligned in the painting would appear you know the one closer to you know the the one on the what would be on your on our right as we look at it would appear to be moving toward us moving down and to, to us there would be some movement in it it's and i thought that is so cool why that is so cool how did he think of such a thing and there's there's some interesting stuff in there about how how her smile looks like a smile sometimes and doesn't look like a smile sometimes and how the eyes follow you around and how it's just all this wonderful stuff that's in that painting that is just mind-blowing. Uh, and Da Vinci, oh, another genius. These guys were geniuses when it came to art. And it's just amazing stuff. And it's really, really cool. So check out those videos. I'll link to the three that I mentioned. Uh, they're called uh, Great Art Explained. And it's, uh, it's just, it's worth your time. You should check it out. Good night, Adolfo. Good night, Frau Blucher. I turned off the sound before I should have. Hey, <laughs> this is your host, Jim. Dr. Dimpitsim is reminding you to sleep with the lights off. See you next week. Okay, turn down the sound. <sighs> you can check out my show notes at dimland.com. Just click on the blog option. And you can email your questions and comments to drdim at dimland.com. That's D-R-D-I-M at dimland.com. And the opening theme song, 
Ram is by Theolius and is used with permission. has been a production of the Z-Talk Radio Network. And now, a message to our competitors. Thanks. Thanks for tuning us in. What did you think of tonight's installment of Dimland Radio? Wow. Wow. Well, well I'm going, going to hell. hell.